want to talk to you this morning about radical Christianity. Now, radical doesn't mean extreme, by the way, because the word radical, if you go back to the original meaning of radical, it actually means, it just means getting back to the roots of something or the, the original meaning. That's all it means. So when we talk about radical Christianity, we're talking about the sort of thing that Jesus spoke about when he was talking to his followers. In other words, it hasn't been conditioned by our lifestyle and our you know, our Western mentality about things. Let's talk about some of the words that Jesus actually spoke to his followers. And uh, as we get, in, get into this this morning, it's not for the faint-hearted. Um, it's not for the casual observer uh, or something that you can just pick up and put down as you want. Actually, God's word, God's plan is to save you and I. He wants to save my soul and save your soul. And that's going to require a pretty radical adjustment of our, an overhaul of our thinking patterns and our behaviors. So uh, I, I believe that God wants to change and transform our lives. So here's a question this morning. How do you live in a world or a culture or a generation where the goalposts keep shifting, keep changing all the time? I, I don't know about you, but if you're a bit of a, a watcher of... Um, modern culture or society that we have uh, in, our, in our world, you can see that things are changing so dramatically. For example, what's right and wrong is increasingly being, interpret, being interpreted by personal preference, like what's right for me or what's right for you may not be right for me. That's what a lot of people are now starting to believe. In other words, there's no absolute right and wrong anymore in society. This is the basis of humanism, by the way, which is the prevailing philosophy in our institutions of higher learning and education in our country. And I, I wasn't even going to mention this, but I'll, I'll mention it because it's kind of funny. I was, um, I was reading a bit of the Humanist Manifesto the other day. Uh, I don't recommend you necessarily read, the, read it, but the hu Humanist Manifesto is the Bible for humanism, which is principally what's believed and not necessarily taught as a religion, but it's, it's a philosophy that is subscribed to by uh, a lot of people, a lot of educated, particularly educated people. And um, uh, so the Humanist Manifesto number two came out in 1973, and it was 40 years after the original one in 1933. And uh, the introduction, sort of the preface to the, set, the, the Humanist Manifesto number two, uh, they were sort of saying, well, we had to make some changes and edit the old one. And it starts off saying this. Well, we looked at what we wrote 40 years ago and, well, that didn't work. So now we need to change some things. So, I mean, go figure. How do you, do you want to base your life on something like that? I, I would much rather base my life on God's Word that doesn't change. It never changes. We have, to re we have to keep translating it because our language changes dramatically. Ling English is changing all the time. But how do you live in a culture or a generation where the goalposts keep shifting, where the things that we once held to be self-evident are now being contested continually? How do you do that? Dallas knows what I mean because it's an American constitution or whatever. Is, it, is that, what is that, the statute, the Declaration of Liberty or whatever, any one of those things? Things, truths once held to be self-evident are now not self-evident anymore because people don't believe a lot of those things anymore. So how do you live like, well, you would do it by aligning yourself with what God says because His Word doesn't change. 
That's the only real way. And so I want us this morning to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. If you've got a Bible there or you can look on the screen. And we're going to read it there from the screen. Here we go. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus saw his ministry. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Now straight away, we're going to stop there because straight away you know this is going to be countercultural. Because what do we do normally when we do something that draws a huge crowd? We say, hey, this is awesome. We need to get a bigger building. We need to get a bigger PA system. This, we're going to make this thing happen. We've got to get some more social media happening here. Jesus started drawing big crowds and he said, I'm out of here. He climbed the hillside and it says, the committed, those who were apprenticed to him, the committed climbed with him. And arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. So here's the thing. Jesus knew that crowds of people don't really necessarily change the world. But a few people who are willing to pay the price to live in obedience to him, a few people who have got their eye on eternity can change the world. So he's got a, he's got a smaller group. We don't know how many. Maybe he's got 100 people or you know, a couple hundred people, whatever. And this is what he's, he's starting to share with them. He's starting to talk with them. The message that is going to change their lives. Verse 3, and he says this, You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Anyone feeling blessed this morning? Jesus said, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and His rule. Now that's a radical, radical statement. Let's start off by defining the word or explaining the word blessed. What does blessed mean? Well, someone described it as happy, fortunate, to be envied, spiritually prosperous with life, joy and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of your outward condition. In other words, it's all pretty good. It's, if, when you're blessed, you know that your life is working out and, you, and, God is, and you're, just, you're enjoying life. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope, Jesus said. With less of you, there is more of God and His rule. So I'm asking the question, can you really be blessed when everything around you is going wrong? Or when you've run out of resources? Or you don't know where to turn? Can you, is it possible to be blessed when that's what's happening in your life? Can you really be blessed like that? Well, I want to give the answer to you. And the answer is a resounding yes, you can. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. Number one, because God has a track record. God has form in making something out of nothing. When you're in a situation where you don't know where to turn, where you've run out of resources, when things just when you we got you got no idea where to go, whatever, you're in a good place because that's where God often starts to work in people's lives. He made the world out of nothing, and he often, and, and the Bible is full of stories of God bringing amazing deliverances out of situations that were looking really bad or making something great out of what looks like little. And I want to just share a little just a little story here from from uh, this guy called Jonathan in the Bible. Um, uh, Jonathan was the son of King Saul and 
the people of God were under dominion of the Philistines at that stage. And, but God was up to something. God was about to do something amongst them. Let's read from 1 Samuel chapter 14. Uh, this is about Jonathan. Later that day, so they're actually, they're actually the, the Philistines are sort of all out there and there's like a, a big battle about to happen. But God is doing something. Jonathan, Saul's son, said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side of the pass. Now where they were, they were in one place and the Philistines were over there. But there was like a big mountain. It was like cliffs in between. They had to climb up. So let's go across to these uncircumcised pagans. (laughs) Maybe God will work for us. And there's no rule that says God can only deliver by using a big army. No one can stop God from saving when he sets his mind to it. Now, some other translation says, God can save by many or by few. And I love that verse because it just shows that we often limit God and we think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of stuck here. I'm in, a, I'm in a bad situation. I'm in a tight spot, someone said. You know, what am I going to do? I, I don't know where to go. But God is not limited he can save you regardless of what your circumstances are. And it makes me think also about uh, being on missions trips. Now, a number of people he- here, I'm sure many of you have been overseas on a missions trip. Who's been on a missions trip? I hope a few people put up their hands because if, if you don't, we need to organize something here and make something happen. I love going overseas into, into like developing countries. And, you know, because what happens is when you go there, I've been a number of times and and, uh, you know, you, you might be in some village or might be in a city, a big city. And I remember once we went to uh, uh, New Delhi and we were preaching there to about 500 pastors and it was just amazing. But um, I did the same in the Philippines too. But uh, if you go in villages in particular, you're there and, and uh, you, you know, you can be speaking God's word and, and asking people, you know, do you want, you know, God can heal you. God will uh, God can heal your life. And so people start coming out the front and they've got incredibly serious things wrong with them. And I, I personally have seen blind eyes opened. I've personally, when I prayed for people, I've seen cripples jump up and start running around. And what I'm, the point I'm making here is that in, in, in third world countries or in developing countries where there are no other medical solutions or no other medical resources, that's where God comes in and starts to work. You know, and I love the, the medical uh, solutions that we have in our country here in the West. We are so blessed by that. But um, when you're at the end of your rope and you've got nothing, that's where God can come in. So keep that in mind. With less of you, there is more of God and His rule. Verse 4. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced. Just stick it up on the screen. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Verse 4. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then. Can you be embraced by the one, the one most dear to you? Can you be blessed when you've lost someone or something that was the most precious thing to you? Is it possible? This is radical. Jesus is making some pretty radical statements here. I know 
for us, Del's, Del's mum just passed away a week ago. And it's been a challenging time. It's been a challenging time for both of us, but especially for her, you know. Maybe, maybe uh, it was a family member, maybe a, a close friend, or maybe a child that died prematurely or some, some tragedy that happened, you know, and, and, and there was great loss that came about as a result of that. You know, sometimes what, what I've seen often is that when, when we're affected by those things, those tragedies, tragic circumstances, and we are deeply affected as, as humans, and we're trying to process that. We're trying to make sense out of what seems like such a senseless loss. You know, and sometimes we make statements, you know, speaking out of our pain, things like, oh, they, they were taken before their time or, or the angels took them or sometimes you hear people say, you know, well, God took them. And we say things like that because we're trying to process it. We're trying to understand. We don't know what to say, so we just feel we need to say something. And that's, that's okay, friends, because I tell you, you know, grief is a, a really important thing. We need to be able to express the pain we're going through. It's a, it's a, it's a, a part of healing of our life. You know, here's the thing. The Bible has got a lot to say about life after death. It's got a lot to say about the origin and destiny of the human soul. But God doesn't give us anywhere in the Bible a simple or universal cause of death. Now, obviously, there are physiological causes, that uh, uh, issues at, at play in, in, in many cases, most cases. But it's the why questions that we all have, isn't it? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? And I just want to give you one, one little concept this morning about this. And, and it's like this. Very often we don't know why, but one thing we can be sure of, one thing you can always stand on, is that God is the author of life. We know that. God is the author of life. And we need to always keep that in front of us. God, you are the author of life. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life, not just any kind of life, not, not just life as you know it now, Jesus said, I've come to give you life in all its fullness. That's actually a bigger and better life than you've ever had before. Life in all its fullness. Maybe it's not just, you know, some, someone that you've lost. Maybe it's something that you lost. And, you know, Jesus is saying, you know, you can be blessed when you feel you've lost what's most lost, something really dear to you. you know? Maybe it's something that you've lost. I heard about this young executive who was, um, you know, on the up and up and everything was going really well for him. He just picked up his new BMW car, sports car, you know, and he, he had to take it for a test drive. And so he's uh, out, out, out of the city limits, out, up on the mountains, and he's, he's going around the hills and it's just enjoying the handling. It's phenomenal, this car, you know, pulling into each corner and just braking at the last minute. And he's going around the corners and all of a sudden he realized that one corner came up a bit more quickly than he realized and he, he just knew he couldn't make it around the corner. So just as it was about to go over the edge, he opened the door and rolled out the door and he saw his pride and joy just plummeting right down and just exploding in a ball of flames right down below him. And when, he, when the help arrived, he's standing there at the, at the guardrail saying, oh, my BMW, my BMW. And the guy that was there said, 
are you crazy? You've torn off your arm. And the guy says, oh no, my Rolex watch, my Rolex watch. But it illustrates the point that how easy our values can be distorted. We can get a twisted set of values sometimes and we don't really understand what's really valuable and what's really not. So I, I know this, that when God calls you, one of the things He wants to do in you is to recalibrate your value system so that you and I will start giving the right value to eternal things and things that last forever and things that will always be with you. And we'll, we'll, ba- we'll give time-based things, like things that we have right here and now, we'll give them the right value as well. I remember, years ago, I remember this just, just came in my heart. You know, we were, um, I don't know, we were building a house or doing something. And I just felt God spoke to me and said, you know, it's great. It's wonderful what you're doing, but just don't get too attached to it. Because one day, it's just going to be sawdust on the ground or ashes or whatever just don't you know I might we might have had I think we did we bought a couple of new cars over the years once or twice but you know but uh, don't get too attached to it because one day you know what it's probably going to rust away in a heap think about the things that are eternal and sometimes what we just need to do is learn to let go of things that we might be holding too closely and be centered in the reality of God be centered again in the reality of God And then Jesus moves on to the next verse, verse 5. He says, You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Makes us think a bit, doesn't it? Think a bit. So I want to talk for a few few moments about being contented with our natural circumstances uh, that we have around us in our life. Many years ago, I, we, were, we, were, um, we were pastoring a church in Victoria, and just not long after we got there, um, this guy who was in the church ar- arrived, and, and um, he, had a, he had an agenda. He came to visit us, and he had an agenda. He wanted to involve us in a, a business or a, a marketing plan that he, he had and that he was involved in. And so he, he pulled out, started pulling out photos of exotic European sports cars, I'm talking Ferraris, Lamborghini, Maserati, whatever. He's pulling out these big photos and he says, wouldn't you like one of these? And I said, nah, not really, not really. Oh, 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 oh. So he started pulling out some other photos of immaculate beach houses. And he says, you really need to have one of these. You need one of these. The, the, the deal obviously was to was that we needed a much higher income, you know, because we need to get one of these. So, so, so um, you need to have one of these. I said, nah, not really, nah. And, and his, the, he had nowhere to go. Where, where did, it became a very short conversation because there was, there was nowhere to go. <laughs> and I just need to say, friends, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Nothing wrong with that at all. God actually wants to bless you in those areas. And it's important we get a right perspective on all of these things. Aspiration is a good thing. Politicians are always talking about aspirational voters. They, they want to talk to people who want to get better because they say, we'll help you. We can help you get that new house you want. We can help you get a better job. Come and vote for us. They're always talking about aspirational voters. 
You pick, you heard that thing? Anyway, nothing wrong with aspiration, wanting to improve your life, wanting to get better. Ambition, it's a good thing. It's a great thing. So long as it doesn't become what the Bible calls selfish ambition, where it's all about me. Oh, it is something good because I want a better something or other, or I need a better something or other. You know, there are some people, and I heard this phrase years ago, I've never forgotten it. Some people who choose to live simply because God, God has put in their heart a desire to be a giver. And uh, I, I, I know personally some people who are very well off, very well off, who've, who've, who've told me that their mission in life is to be able to give so that they can be a blessing to other people. And I, and I can tell you here right now, there are some of the wealthiest people in the world who give away almost all of their income. There, but there are some people who also choose to live simply so that others can live eternally. It's a profound concept. So I'm saying this morning, friends, hold loosely to the things that belong to this life. If it draws your eye, and if it might capture your imagination, that's okay. But if it doesn't belong to you, just turn away. And if you need to, run away from it. Run away from that. But hold on to what is eternal and what lasts forever because that's a better investment plan. That's your best investment plan. That's investing wisely. You know, there are two things. I'm coming to a close here. Maybe our creative team can come back. There are two conditions that prevent people from experiencing life fully. One is guilt, which keeps us focused on the past and always thinking about what I could have done better or what I, things I shouldn't have done or things I you know, could have done better. It takes our energy. That, that's what saps our energy and you know, it dissipates our, our, our enjoyment of life. And I, and I want to say, friends, we've got to be able to deal with and get rid of guilt in our life. And the only way to do that is to know that Jesus died in your place. That's how you deal with guilt. A lot of people live with guilt their whole life. Either they don't know or they don't believe that God made provision for their guilt to be taken away. So guilt is the first thing. The second thing is anxiety. So guilt is about the past. Anxiety is about the future. In other words, dread of what the future holds that stops me from enjoying what I have right now. And you know, the fact is that you know, it's possible that we let those two things dominate our lives. We've got no energy to be able to enjoy our life right now, today. We've got to deal with that anxiety as well by learning to trust in God and put our whole life in His hands. Here's the thing. You don't really know what the future holds. And you won't know except for the fact that we're really blessed in our time right now since the Holy Spirit has been poured out on our generation. You know, God is giving us opportunity to, to see glimpses into the future. But the reality is we don't really know what the future holds. I'll just, just share with you for a moment. Um, one of the things about, one of the great stories in the Bible is um, the story of Joseph, how, how um, Joseph was... Joseph found himself in prison in a foreign country for a crime he never committed. Here he's languishing in prison 
And um, he's thinking, what a, what a mess I'm in. It was like, it was like worlds away from the, the world, from the family that he grew up in. His family knew the promises of God and the covenant uh, relationship with God. Here he is in a foreign country that had no concept of the living God. And he's in prison there. He's thinking, man, what, how bad is this? But Joseph had had dreams. And those dreams were still burning in his heart. Dreams that God had showed him what the future can be. And Joseph had other dreams that were actually, and he shared some of these other dreams with people that were actually coming to pass in real time. One day the king had a dream um, that really troubled him. It was a dream about the future economy of the country and what was going to happen, but the king didn't understand the dream. And he heard about Joseph, that Joseph, this guy in prison, could, could explain dreams. So they brought him in and he explained the dream to the king, not only what it meant, but what to do about it. He had wisdom from God, what to do about the dream, the king's dream. And, God, and uh, the king said this. He said, Pharaoh said to his officials, isn't this the man we need? Are we going to find anyone else who has God's spirit in him like this? And Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, elevated Joseph to be the prime minister of the country. So he's taken out of jail in the morning. By the afternoon, he's the prime minister of the land. Let's read, what, read the next verse. It says, So Pharaoh commissioned Joseph, I'm putting you in charge of the entire country of Egypt. Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his finger and slipped it on Joseph's hand. He outfitted him in robes of the best linen, put a gold chain around his neck, and he put the second in command chariot at his disposal. And as he rode, as he rode in the chariot, people shouted, Bravo! What an amazing thing in one day taken from prison to being the prime minister. So here's the point. You don't really know what's around the corner of your life. But if you put your trust in the living God, one thing you know, it's going to be good. You know that it's going to be good. Because God has got His hand upon your life and God is going to lead you. So I want to just, just bring us, as we come to a conclusion, you know, where, where are you at today? What's, what's happening in your heart today, in your life? Maybe you're still trying to process something from the past. Maybe you're stuck. Maybe you feel today like you're stuck in the past and you can't get out of that. And, and this morning, I just need to tell you that God has got a plan for your life and it's a great plan. It's a really good plan for your life. And, and what, what you and I need to do, we need to put our hands in the hands of God and say, God, would you lead me? Would you provide for me? I pray, Lord, that the future will open up and the goodness of God will be seen in the lives of each of these people here today. Maybe you're looking at your circumstances around you right now and it looks very shaky. Maybe it looks scary and you don't know what the future holds and there's this concern over the future is just taking all your energy today. And God is saying, I want you to put your hands in my hands. I want you to trust me about the future. I want you to trust me about the future. Can we just close our eyes for a moment? Friends, because you can rest in God. You can rest in Him. You can rest in Him today. But you need to take that step into His kingdom. You need to step over into God's life and say, Jesus, I give my heart to You. I open my life to You. 
Would you come in and fill me? Would you take away the guilt and the shame of my past and make me a new person on the inside? That's what's happening in your heart right now. And you're you're willing to make that step and take, take that step towards God. I want to tell you, He will meet you. You take one step towards Him, He'll take 100 steps towards you. He's ready to meet you where you're at right now. And if you need to take that step, why don't you just say yes to God? Let me just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you this morning. Open up your life to Him. Hallelujah. Just raise your hand. You can put it down again. God is doing something in your heart today. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Yep. See that hand? Yep. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Anyone else? God's just doing something in your heart today. And to take that step. Yep. Yep. See that? And hallelujah. Amen. Wonderful, Lord God. Friends, there's nothing better than to put your life, to place your life in God's hands. That's the safest place to be. You might, you might feel unsafe where you are in your world. But putting yourself in God's hands, that's a safe place to be. Even if all around you things are uncertain and you're not sure, put yourself in God's hands. A safe place to be. Why don't we stand up uh, this morning? Let's sing that, surrounded by holy. God, I'm surrounded by you. I'm just surrounded by you today. Maybe just the chorus.